So Jesus, through your word, help our eyes to be on you. Lord, help us to understand you more and hear from you more so that we can follow you more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here. Thank you for being here. When I was in seminary, there were two things about being a pastor that scared me, death and middle school ministry. So to handle that, I, first year I did middle school ministry and loved it. I loved hanging out with those guys. I still do. It was awesome. It was a great experience in my life. So to deal with the second fear, death, the next year I worked as a chaplain in a hospital. And the very first room I walked into, the guy died while I was there. So like first room, the guy dies. So then I went into the second room. The guy yelled at me so loudly they could hear him all the way down the hall. And he used very interesting, colorful language. So he said, get, very colorful word, out of here. I don't ever want you in this room again. You, several interesting, colorful words strung together. And I was like, wow. I mean, very strong reaction. So, I mean, best I could figure is he'd he'd heard what happened in the first room, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I had these images of these amazing spiritual conversations with uh, patients, maybe a healing or two, and instead all they did was yell and die. Do you ever feel like you are trying to do something worthwhile, something meaningful in school or in your job or in parenting or or, 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 or in your marriage? Or maybe you're just trying to help someone out and it's not going very well. In fact, it just seems to go from bad to worse. And you're trying to follow God, you're trying to do what he says, but it just keeps going badly. And then do you wonder, well, God, if you're so real, if you're for me, then why aren't you helping me? We're going through the book of Exodus, looking at it through the lens of story, because like a story, our lives have reoccurring themes, character development, comedy, tragedy, and God wants us to live a good story. And as a former literary scholar, one thing I can tell you for sure that is, that is essential to a good story is conflict. Now, by that I don't mean between people, but I mean the main character has to overcome challenges and obstacles in order to accomplish something worthwhile, or there's no story. Or if there is, it's a very boring story because nothing happens. What drives the plot is conflict, obstacles. And that's what we see in today's passage. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of Exodus and about how God is the unseen author and all the twists and turns of our lives, bringing out a great story. And I asked you to do some homework. Gave you the assignment to go home and draw a timeline of your life and look at some of the, the turning points and how Jesus was there and what themes emerged. And here's an example of mine. And, and I asked you to go home and do a timeline of your own. So what I'd like to do right now is I'd like you to pass those to the aisle. We'll collect them and I'll grade them. What? No? No? Did the dog eat your timeline? Huh? Is that what happened? No. It wasn't the dog. Dogs wouldn't do that. It was your cat. We're not going to collect anything, but I do want you to do that assignment because I think it can help you see some stuff in your life where Jesus was in the middle of it. So last week, we left Moses in exile for murdering an Egyptian. Off in the desert, he was exiled. Next, he encounters God in a burning bush who tells him to go deliver the people from slavery. And for a lot of reasons, we're going to look at that next week. But first, I want to give you a preview to the kind of challenge Moses says yes to when he agrees to deliver them, the Israelites, from slavery. So he has this burning bush experience. He comes back off the mountain, all jazzed up to be the liberator of his people. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go. Sort of Charlton Heston-like, right? To which Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So there. 
not what Moses was expecting at all, right? I mean, he'd just seen this miracle of God in a burning bush. He was probably expecting God to do some equally cool miracle like zap Pharaoh or do something like that. And all Pharaoh does is say, no, I won't let you go. What are you going to do about that, Moses? So then Moses starts to dial back his expectations. And he says, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. You see, in verse 1, it was the Lord God, right? The God of everyone. But now it's just the God of the Hebrews, right? He's met with us. So now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our God. And in the Hebrew, it actually says, please. You know, like, Pharaoh, please, pretty please, with sugar on top. Let, let us go. Just for three days, not forever. Just for the, Like, he's dialing his expectations down. Did you ever do that? In hard times, you kind of shrink God and shrink your hopes and all of that, kind of just kind of shrink them down. That's Moses. And I think part of the reason we do that is we so often expect God to do these giant miracles all the time. And if he doesn't do these giant miracles, well, we think he's not here. He's not, he's not doing anything in our lives. But as I've said before, if you divide the number of miracles in the Bible by the 2,000 years of history it covers, by the, the square miles included, you do not come up with very many miracles per square mile per year. They happen, and I've told you stories of miracles in this church. They happen. It's just that they're rare. Often, God is working through us in different ways. In this story here, the Israelites have been enslaved for 400 years. 400 years with no miracle. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is because we actually need challenges to overcome in order to grow. Now, I know some of you right now are facing really hard stuff, loss of a loved one, serious health problems. But even in that, even in that, God often, so many people, God meets them in a new way, and they feel this inexplicable joy. And I'll give you an example at the end of this sermon. And then there are, of course, just the normal challenges we face in school or job or marriage or parenting, just normal challenges of life. And I think this passage shows us a couple of ways that we can handle those obstacles, handle those challenges in life. And the first is to deal with it, to just admit that this is part of life. See, Moses here certainly expected faster results. He expected Pharaoh to just say, okay, you guys can go. You know, I, I give you freedom, right? And, and, but not only does Pharaoh say no, he makes their lives even worse because he says from now on you have to make the same number of bricks, but now you have to go get your own straw. So it gets even worse. And then the people say to Moses, may the Lord judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. So here Moses is doing everything right, does exactly what God tells him to do, and, and things only get worse and worse and worse. They don't get better, and everyone hates him. You ever feel that way? Like, man, I am doing my best here, God, and you're not helping, and it's just getting worse. And this is not how I expect things to be, right? This is not what our American consumer Christianity has taught us. I expect things to be easy, and I expect things to be kind of quick, my dad emails my youngest daughter promises from Scripture, and this is something he's done for all of, his, all of his grandchildren, and she occasionally responds to his emails, and he shares those responses with me. Well, a while back, I had a meeting here on a Sunday after church, and my wife was out of town, so my kids had to wait for me to be done with that meeting to get a ride home, and my youngest used that chance to email her grandfather, and this is what she said. She said, hi, Grandpa. I'm here at church waiting for Daddy to get done with a very, very long meeting. Holly is studying, and so there's no one to talk to me while I sit in a lonely corner reading a depressing book and meanwhile starving as there are no donuts or even cookies as there ought to be. <laughs> Hopefully in my next email I will be happier. <laughs> I mean, that is so me, right? Like, when things go a little bit wrong, I'm like, there are no donuts as there ought to be. Like, where is God when it hurts? 
The Apostle Peter puts it this way. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful, at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. We tend to think if we're suffering here in America, something strange is happening. This is out of the ordinary. Moses learns that just because things don't instantly work out doesn't mean that God isn't still there and that he's doing something and that he's leading toward deliverance and freedom and hope. But first, for our own sake, we may need to overcome some obstacles. For our own sake, for a couple reasons. First, this is just part of a great story. Right? I mean, just, my, my wife and I love old films, and, and we try to pass that kind of sophistication on to our children. Turns out that's a thankless task, actually. But a couple of weeks ago, we showed them a, a movie from the 40s, a romantic comedy called Little Shop Around the Corner. Before it had even started, my son said, is this going to be in black and white? I hate black and white. And we're like, well, it is in black and white. And so then we started, we showed it, and a few minutes in, he goes, this is boring, about 20 minutes in, he said, this is so boring. There, there's like no conflict at all. It's just people talking and talking and talking. There's no conflict for them to overcome, and nothing blows up. And I thought, that's kind of a good literary analysis, right? Like, there's no conflict to drive the plot forward. There's no challenges, no obstacles to overcome, and nothing blows up. A movie without challenges, without obstacles for the character to overcome is boring. A life without obstacles is boring. Having obstacles to overcome is essential to adventure and meaning in life. Not all difficulties are a result of the fall. That they became destructive and so numerous, that's a result of the fall. But even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had things to overcome. They had to tend the garden, tame nature. That's a challenge. Do you ever wonder why men and women are so different? Maybe God embeds challenge in that which is worth fighting for. In heaven, we will have challenges, obstacles, things to overcome, because without that, life will be a boring black-and-white romantic comedy from the 40s. Now, this, this doesn't mean that all conflict is good. Some of it is just downright evil. And it doesn't mean that if you're in some kind of abusive situation that you necessarily just have to take it. You may need to get out for your own safety. But I am talking about the 90% of life, the normal conflicts we face in school, career, marriage, parenting, all of that. Variety is not the spice of life. Challenge is. Second thing Moses discovers is that challenge is how we grow. In a movie, in a book, overcoming of obstacles is often how the main character grows. It's how you make a weak person strong, a timid person brave, an arrogant person humble. And we just saw a minute ago that this is not the confident Moses through whom God parts the Red Sea. He's kind of weak. But through his conflict with Pharaoh and seeing God at work in those challenges, he grows in his leadership and in his confidence. The bottom line is this. Anything noble, helping someone uh, or marriage or accomplishing something worthwhile, anything noble will involve the overcoming of obstacles. And as I said at Easter, if you want to avoid difficulties, if what you want is a life of ease and comfort, well, the best way to do that is to have a meaningless life. But whenever something beautiful is coming into the world, it always encounters resistance, whether that's a flower pushing up through the dirt, a baby trying to get born, a marriage trying to heal. And, you know, we get that on principle, don't we? Like, it even kind of excites us, right? It's, it's kind of romantic. Like, I, we love to picture ourselves as Frodo braving the fires of Mordor to destroy the ring, right? Like, yeah, that's me, I'm brave, right? But, but, then, we, but then we try to help someone and it gets messy or they're not grateful and we're like, ah, oh, this is hard. Or marriage, right? Like everyone who goes into marriage says, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm excited to work through those things together, right? It sounds so romantic and inspiring. 
You know, I'm going to fight the good fight. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Work smarter, not harder. There is no I in team. Climb every mountain, right? Like it's so inspiring, right? But then it gets hard and we're like, oh, I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't think it would be this. I mean, when I said that, I thought it would be something, well, a little less hard. So here's a truth that can change your life. Emblazon this on your mind. This is what hard looks like. When you get to those struggles in career or when you're tr- or in following Jesus or in marriage, say to yourself, I knew it would be hard. I signed up for hard, and this is what hard looks like. But I'm still going to dream of something beautiful, fight for something noble, leave something meaningful, and die with the character of Christ. This is what hard looks like, so bring it on because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And when we understand that our challenges serve us, they help us grow, they get us closer to God, they drive the plot of our lives forward, just like in a book, well, then we can embrace them and engage them with a different attitude. And this is where reading our lives as a story is so helpful. Conflict without the narrative context of redemption is just meaningless suffering. Frodo's struggles means nothing without the context of trying to save the world, right? Otherwise, he's just a little short guy going up a mountain with his fat friend named Sam, pointless. But within the narrative context of redemption, his suffering becomes beautiful. Suffering ceases to be suffering when we see it in light of a redemptive narrative. And the only way to do that, the only way to do that is my next point, and that is we've got to get closer to God. After things go from bad to worse, Moses says to God, Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. You ever say that to God? You're not helping. You're not helping. Moses, I love Moses because he's the patron saint of wine. right? I just love him for this reason because I can relate. He whines and complains and yells his way into an amazing relationship with the living God. So, Here's some homework for you. Take your rants to Jesus. Take your rants to Jesus. Put them in his hands, and you will discover a closer relationship with him, and you will discover what Moses discovers here, and as my third point is, it ain't about you. It's about God. And not about what you do. It's about what God does. You know, in chapter 5, Moses makes it all about him. Right? He was prince of Egypt, right? But then he's exiled into, into the wilderness for 40 years into the desert. But then God anoints him with power, and he's excited to be back in the game, right? Like, he's back. I'm back. I'm back. It's like a bumper sticker I saw the last election cycle that I thought was kind of funny. It said, Nixon, now more than ever. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> he's dead, but you know, it's like, this is kind of Moses. I've been gone, but now I'm back, right? And he's super excited about this, and he goes to Pharaoh, and, you know, let my people go, and it doesn't work out, Right? He thought it was about his power, his authority. And you hear that in his rant. Is this why you sent me ever since I went to Pharaoh? Well, aren't we stuck on ourselves, Moses? Me, I, me, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to deliver them. So chapter 5 ends in discouragement and misery. But you turn the page, just one verse later, just one verse later, God explodes in power and might and 10 plagues fall in Egypt and a sea divides and the people are set free because he is always mighty to save. God is never late, but he does have this annoying fondness for cliffhangers, doesn't he? And that's why sometimes we just need to hang on a little while longer, just one more verse, because sometimes when things seem to be falling apart, they're actually falling into place. See, Moses' desperation here leads him to lean on the power of God, not his own 
power. And you see that in this really cool literary device in the text. It just delights my English major heart to be able to show this to you. God responds to Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts. I am the Lord. Over and over again, you see the phrase I am or I will in Hebrew, the same word, Yahweh. In two chapters earlier, when Moses asked God, what is your name? God says, my name is Yahweh, which can be translated I am or I will be who I will be. So here God invokes his own name. In other words, Moses, your question should not be who am I to set the people free, but who I am is. And I am with you. You are not alone. So Moses, look up and be not afraid. See, God links his promises to his name as if he's saying, it's my nature, Moses. It's my character to redeem. He cannot not redeem. He cannot not deliver. That's what he does. That's his name. That's his character. And God does not write unhappy endings. As I said last week, your life is not an arty French film, right? You know, everyone's miserable for two hours and then they all die, right? That's not your life, not with Jesus, And yes, sometimes things get worse before they get better in order for us to grow, get closer to God, have an adventure. And God doesn't cause all those hard things, but he sure works through all those hard things. Moses' trial forces him to lean into God's power, not on his own, so that it was clear to everyone that it wasn't Pharaoh's authority, it wasn't Moses' talent, but it was God and God alone who delivered the people from slavery. Now, this doesn't mean that we just sit back and watch God do everything, we're not involved. No, no, we have a role. It's like sailing. We have to hoist the sail, tie the rope, and all that, but it's the wind that pushes the boat, and it's the Holy Spirit that drives our lives forward. And so we have to lean into that power through prayer, through listening to those thoughts that maybe aren't our thoughts, toward cooperating with God in the things that he nudges us to do so that we can gain the freedom he wants to give us, through the wisdom of others as they speak into our lives, and cooperate with the power of God, but know that ultimately it is up to his power not you, which is good news because that means it's safe in his hands. You can't mess this up. When I was a college pastor, I had two students who were good friends, but their lives were very different. The first I'll call Jonathan, who was, he had very kind of a hard life. His, His parents divorced when he was young. His mother was a little emotionally unstable, and he was an only child, had to become kind of a parent to her. And she'd call him when he was in college and kind of put all her burdens on him. She'd be crying, and he'd have to kind of figure out how to, how to arrange for her care from several states away. Uh, it was just a very difficult life. The other student, I'll call him Brad. Brad was a great leader, ton of integrity, tall, good-looking guy, came from a, a wealthy family. He was quarterback of his high school football team in a town where everyone kind of worshipped football players, like the kind of guy that I was, always had wanted to be but never was. Well, in their senior year, Jonathan's mother died unexpectedly. And the next day, I was talking to Brad, tall, good-looking quarterback Brad. And, and Brad said, gosh, it just seems like Jonathan has struggled his whole life. I guess it just seems like some people's lives are harder than other people's. And I said, well, everyone's life is harder than yours, Brad, pretty much. But <laughs> I was joking, but, you know, I mean, but it's not, and it wasn't true. I mean, he had challenges to overcome. But that's kind of what we do sometimes, right? We look at other people, oh, you're this or that, and I'm not, and you're, you got it better than I got it. We all have struggles. Well, for Jonathan, his mom's death was a kind of turning point. Several days later, some of his best friends and I, we all flew to be with him at his mother's memorial, and he discovered that he had a band of brothers who were with him. 
And he was a good steward of his pain and used it to help get closer to, to Jesus. And he, made some, he wanted to be a man of integrity. And along the way, he made some big sacrifices to be that man of integrity, including giving up his dream job because the move wouldn't be good for the girl he wanted to marry. And even though she was willing to go there with him, he, he said to me, I don't want to be the kind of man who would have given up a great job for my wife. I need to be the kind of man who did. And now he's married with kids, and his suffering has given him this enormous compassion for other people, which serves him well in his job, where at the, you know, the grand age of 33, he is now leading a very large and influential church. Now, there were struggles in all of that, too, but in so many ways, God has redeemed the years the locusts have eaten. And Brad and Jonathan now live in the same city, and I was there recently for a conference, and I got to see them both. And I hadn't seen Brad in years, and I spent several hours with him in one of the most encouraging conversations I've had in a long time. And now it was Brad's turn to be in a difficult season. His mother, who he was close to, died unexpectedly. He and his wife went through several very difficult miscarriages, and his business is failing. And he's telling me all this, and then he, with this enormous smile on his face, he leans forward and he says, Scott, I've never had more joy in my life. And I've never been closer to Jesus. And we're pregnant again and we're past the first trimester, but these struggles have gotten us so much closer as a couple. And I've got this amazing friend. In fact, just last night, he came to my office and he said, we need to pray for you. And we got down on our knees and prayed together for almost an hour. And I'm so blessed to have such a great friendship and I don't know if this business is going to succeed or fail. What I know is I want to keep this close connection with God, and I want to do what I can to serve other people in his name. And if this business fails, well, maybe that's, that's going to lead to some opportunities for me to do that in a different way. I almost cried. And the Holy Spirit was there so clearly. I texted him the next day and said, Brad, I'm still living off the fuel of our conversation. It can make you better or it can make you bitter. And Brad and Jonathan were both very good stewards of their pain. And because of that, they grew as men, as leaders, as followers of Jesus, because of the obstacles they overcame with his power. And now they've both got this great story about how God redeems and makes all things new. And I could not be prouder of both of them. This is what hard looks like, so bring it on. I ain't afraid of no hard. So here's your homework. This week, think of some obstacles that you are facing Write those down. And then pray and think about what might be some character traits that God is trying to develop in you through these obstacles. And then ask Jesus, how is this going to lead to a better story? Because, as I said, a movie without conflict is boring, a life without challenge, boring. How is this going to lead to a better story? And then give it some time, because sometimes it just takes time to see what God is doing. In this passage, Pharaoh asks a mocking question. Who is this God? Basically, if your God is so strong, then why are you all slaves? The rest of Exodus is going to answer that question in a powerful way. Ten plagues, a divided sea, a people set free. See, God's silence is always just a prelude to his dramatic intervention. So if you feel like you are in Exodus chapter 5 right now and God's not helping, hang on, hang on, Exodus 6 is coming. It's like the end of the Hallelujah course in Handel's Messiah, which our choir will be doing in a few weeks. You know how at the end you get all those, that long string of hallelujahs, hallelujah, 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 right? And then, and then there's this pause. It's called a sejura. Aren't you impressed? I had to ask music people what it's called. 
called. But that, that pause to me, it always seems a little longer than it should and kind of worries me. It's like, has something gone wrong? Like maybe the conductor forgot something. Maybe he sneezed and blew the music off the stand. Like what's going on here, right? But then the conductor's wand comes down and the music comes back louder and more emphatic than before with that final alleluia. And it's so cool. So if God seems silent to you right now, take heart. Because he is never silent. It's just a pause, a holy cesura that often lasts longer than we'd like it to, but that always signals something bigger is about to happen. It's a holy moment of anticipation between the thing God has done and the bigger thing he is about to do. That grander, louder, hallelujah, that he will. He will. He will right into your life and mine because he can do no other, because he is always, only, and ever mighty to save. So Jesus, in these hard times, when we don't see you there and we wonder where you are, Lord, help us to see you. Help us to have faith. Help us to take heart, knowing that you have conquered all. You are a God of justice. You are a God of grace. You are a God of truth. You are a God of hope. You are a God of freedom in you and in you alone, in no other God. Can those things be found? Jesus, Help us to walk in that kind of victory, regardless of the obstacles we face, knowing that you will use them to make us better. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.